Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but basketball season is right around the corner. I know this because my football team's not doing so hot. And, and when I think about college basketball, I, I can't help but to think about how just the, the landscape has changed so much over the last 10, 12 years. Uh, when I was growing up, you'd hear about these guys that would come straight out of high school to the NBA. Moses Malone, Sean Kemp, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. But in 2006, they passed a rule that says you have to be at least 19 to enter the draft. So this created a culture of guys who were ready to go to the NBA, but instead had to go to a year of college. And so they'd go to college with no intention of graduating. Basically, they want to, to keep a, a GPA that's passing, that keeps them eligible, give their team one good shot at the NCAA tournament, and then they would move on to what was next in life. They would move on to something more elite. They'd go to the league where they would hopefully make their millions. And so this idea of, of, of college being kind of a stepping stone to something better, a lot of times that's kind of how we view the gospel, where the gospel is something that saves us, but then after we get that taken care of, we kind of move on to what's next. Some people just let that be, I'm saved, I'm good to go, and other people want to grow in their faith, and, and sometimes we move on to trying to become more spiritual whether that's through practicing spiritual disciplines or exercising spiritual gifts or many things in between. And that's what the Corinthians are dealing with today in 1 Corinthians chapter two. They have been saved by the gospel. Some people have let that be where they stopped. They're saved and now they're moving on while other people are trying to be more spiritual. And with those that are trying to be more spiritual, they begin to rank each other on how they're doing. Some people are elite some people are not. And this culture of deciding who's spiritual and who's not has become divisive in their church. So Paul's gonna come in today and redefine what it means to be spiritual. And then he's gonna show how it applies to our life, how a proper understanding of spirituality has a huge impact on how we live. So let's jump in. First Corinthians chapter two, starting in verse six. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now, I know it's weird just jumping straight into the middle of a text. You're going, what in the world is he talking about? Well, over the course of the last chapter or so, Paul has been coming down pretty hard on the Corinthians because they've become infatuated with the thinkers of their time. People that are seen in public as intellectuals, as the wise, as those who are holding public platforms and pushing their ideas through well-crafted speeches. And so they want to be accepted and respected by the intellectual elite. And so it looks like Paul's almost against wisdom and against intellect. And now he's saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not against that stuff. I'm pro-intellect. I'm pro-knowledge. I'm pro-wisdom. But... It has to be properly framed, right? And so he's saying to the mature. Now that's really important because when he says the mature, he's talking to all Christians. 
the, the Corinthians have created these divisions of those who are spiritually elite and those who are not, and it's become divisive. And so now he's labeling all Christians as mature, all Christians as spiritual. He's saying, look, if you believe in Christ, you have already been perfected in God's eyes because Jesus on the cross exchanged his righteousness for your sin. So when God looks at you, no matter how you're doing on a scale of one to 10 in your, your spirituality, he goes, God sees you as mature. So to the mature, to those who are Christians, we do impart wisdom. So there's, there's a good type of wisdom that he is giving to them. He says, although it is not a wisdom of this age. And so the wisdom of this age frames up knowledge. It frames up intellect. It frames up the wisdom with God not in the picture. And so for them, it's, it's here's how to live life and we're not considering God in any of it. So either the world's better without God or we're okay without him, whatever it might be, God's not in the frame. But the wisdom that he is imparting puts God in the cross at the very center. So there's a type of wisdom where God is central. Verse seven, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So this, this wisdom, like I said, it, it has the cross at the center of it. When it says secret and hidden, that literally means mystery. And so he's saying there, there's this mystery that has been revealed. In, in other words, in the past, people looked at the world and realized this thing's broke. How can we fix it? And, and the inclination was to look to ourselves and try to be the solution. But now the mystery has been revealed that God's plan to reverse the trajectory of the world, where the world is broke and running away from God, God has had a plan to reverse that, to turn it around where we're now aimed towards him. And that was through the mystery. Now, the mystery, when it, when it says that in the New Testament, almost every time it's in reference to the gospel or God's plan to redeem and restore the world through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is when we look at the world and how it's broken from the very beginning of time, before Genesis 1-1, God planned to restore and redeem the brokenness we are experiencing through the life of his son, through the sacrifice of of his son. He says, now we can see God's plan to fix this thing. And at the center of the wisdom of God fixing what is broke is the cross, is his son. Now, verse eight, it says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. He's saying at the, at the end of the day, this secret, this hidden wisdom is now an open secret. It, it's been seen through Jesus. He has come and he has ascended. All right, so it's, it's seen. This is an open secret. But in verse nine, he's saying, no one could have guessed with the best imagination how God would have worked this thing out. And even now, the first part of verse 10, even now we can't understand God's plan or our part in it 
unless the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Okay, continuing on in verse 10, he says, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. When's the last time someone thought they knew exactly what you were thinking? And it turns out they were totally wrong. You ever had that happen where someone maybe tries to complete your sentence and then they get it all off? You're like, you have no idea what's going through my mind right now. Um, I've recently found myself doing that in my marriage. Um, when I get into a, a bad spot, you know, when I'm kind of in a fog or in a funk, I assume that every question that's asked of me has something behind the question, right? So Lucy might ask me, hey, was today restful? And I think I know what she's thinking. So what do I say? I'm not lazy. Like, I promise I'm not lazy. I know that I haven't helped out with the dishes for three nights. I know that like, I'm not doing my best at putting my shoes back under the bed. Like, I'm not, I promise you I've been working hard. I'm not lazy. And she's going, I know you've been working hard. And I literally just want to know if you've had any rest today, right? And it's like, I thought I knew what she was thinking and I was totally off. You see, I can't know what my wife is thinking unless she tells me, Right. That's true of all of us, and it's also true of God. We can't know what God's thinking unless he's revealed it to us. And so what Paul's saying here is that God has given us his spirit so that we can know his heart. God has given us his spirit so we can know his heart. This doesn't mean that we know everything about God's plans. We're not in a position to to understand the complexities of how everything's working itself out, why this happened, why that happened, and why things are as they are. We're not in a position to know everything, but we can know God's heart on the most important things concerning his holiness, concerning our sinfulness, concerning our desperate need for the cross and the salvation that's only provided through Christ. God has allowed us to see his heart revealed to us through scripture, right? Now the spiritual person is able to understand these things because God has given them understanding. And this is in direct contrast to the natural person in verse 14. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He says, in contrast to the person who can know the heart of God, our natural state, just who we are on our own, our natural state isn't to look at the world and go, this thing's broke, I need Jesus. Instead, our natural state is to to turn from God and try to fix it without him in the picture. It's to turn from God and try to be the solution on our own without without any... um, push to see what, what he thinks or what he desires. Like our natural inclination is not to run to him, but to run from him. All right, so in this, the natural person and then the spiritual person, we begin to see how Paul is defining spirituality. You see that the spiritual person is the person who's been given the Holy Spirit 
to understand God's heart. Right, so when he calls someone spiritual, it's not so much their activity or the things they do, it's their position that has been given to them from what Jesus has done. So being a spiritual person isn't through you doing spiritual activity. Being a spiritual person is something that is is a status spoken over to you because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And and so when he says the, the spiritual person, he's saying this is someone who is filled with the spirit and empowered by the spirit to run towards God or to run after God. So those who are spiritual are ultimately just those who have been given the spirit. And as Christians, we have all been given this ability to understand God's heart, right? Now, verse 15 is gonna show us why this stuff is so important, right? So I realize that if you've been trying to follow me, I've been flying, and I, and I want to slow down here. So if we're like if we're listening to an audible book and we're on 1.5 speed, we're going one, right? We're slowing it down, right? So verse 15 is going to show us why this stuff is so important. Why is it important to be spiritual? Why is it important that God has given us, every one of us, spirituality or the ability to know God's heart? He says in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one, right? This verse is, is confusing to an extent, but it's also widely misinterpreted, right? He's not saying that we have the right to walk around judging everybody. And then when people judge us to say, whoa, 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 you're not in a position to judge me. That's between me and God. You, you keep your opinion to yourself. That's not at all what he's talking about. What he's beginning to unpack for us is that the gospel's not something we move on from. The gospel's not one and done. It doesn't save us and then leave us to go to other things to grow in our faith. The gospel's intent was to save us from our sin, but to also help us grow in our faith, right? And so now we're beginning to see how that growth works how we don't just move on from the gospel, but we grow into a deeper and more profound understanding of it. So he says, the spiritual person judges all things, right? So think about that word judges for a second here. As spiritual people, okay, which, which would be all Christians are spiritual. It's a status given to us, not because of things that we do, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf, all right? So as spiritual people, we know that God is in the position, right, as the creator of the universe to tell us how the world is designed for human flourishing. So God has designed life in such a way that we can experience human flourishing, okay? Now, as the creator and as the designer, only he is in a position to hold us accountable to living up to those standards, right? In other words, only God is in the seat of being the judge. So when Paul says that we can judge all things, he's not removing God from his judgment seat and putting us in his place. He's saying that from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can now know the heart of God, which is revealed to us through scripture, to apply God's perspective to every area of life. So when it says that we can judge all things, he's saying because of the gospel, 
we can now apply God's perspective to every area of our lives. That we can look to God's word and there's insights into marriage, to parenting, to work, to education, to decision-making, to friendships, to every area of life. The more we understand God's redemptive plan of how God created the world to be, how we messed that up through our sin and, and how through Jesus, he has redeemed us and purchased us back and how now the trajectory of the world is aimed towards restoration. As we see ourselves in this larger story, we can start to shape the way we approach every area of life. So when he says that we can judge all things, he's saying that because of our ability to know God's heart, we can apply his perspective to everything, all right? Now, when you begin to do that, when you begin to live out your faith in such a way where you're saying, I wanna follow Jesus. Like I want my life to align with God's design for how the world was created to be so we can experience this true human flourishing. When you do that, there will be things that are countercultural. There will be things that you believe, things that you stand for, things that you live out that people on the outside looking in are going to say, that's just, that's just foolish. Or that's, that's so narrow-minded. How could, how could you believe that? Or at worst, if you believe that, if you stand for that, if you live that out, that is dangerous and damaging to the society that we live in, right? And so we, we want to silence you and push you out, right? That's, the reality is, is that if, if we try to apply God's perspective to every area of our life, the world we live in isn't just going to accept that and go, that seems best. Instead, they're going to say, no, 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 that seems foolish, right? So think about that. What are some things biblically based and, I, and so I say biblically based because there are things that we might hold up as Christian that aren't Christian just because like it's cultural or because we've stood for it over the, the like span of recent history doesn't necessarily mean it's in scripture, okay? So what are some biblically based things that if you believed, stood for and lived out, what are some biblically based things that if you were to be about those, the world you're in would push back against? The truth is, is there's a lot of stuff that we are for that is countercultural to the world we're in. And when that happens, you're gonna feel the world critiquing you. You're gonna feel almost as if the world is judging you. And so Paul says that we are to be judged by no one. In other words, no one is in the seat to determine what's right and wrong in regards to what's best for our lives. That's a seat that only God sits in. And so if anyone in culture begins to push back against you and you start to question yourself to go, am I on the wrong side of history? Or is this what's best? Am am I being foolish for standing for this and running towards this? You have to realize that what God says And what God thinks is ultimately the only thing that matters. He's the only judge in a position to speak truth into what's right and what's wrong in regards to our lives. So when he says that we can judge all things, he's saying that we now have the ability to apply God's perspective to every area of life. When we do that, 
culture is going to push back on some things. And when that happens, we don't have to second guess ourselves because the world's not in a position to judge us. The only thing that matters is what God thinks. And that's why Paul wraps this up in verse 16 by saying, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, God has given those who are spiritual, which is all Christians, the mind of Christ to live a life that runs towards God, not from God. Okay, now the truth is, is that this is a struggle for us to do. I mean, think about that. If you are here today and your faith is in Christ, God looks at you and says, you are spiritual. That's not your activity. The things that you do, that is a status given to you by the creator of the universe. Okay? He looks at you and says, you are spiritual. Now, that is your, your, your heavenly status. That is true of you for all eternity. Okay? You are mature. You are spiritual in Christ. But the lives we live don't always reflect the status we have. Okay? The lives we live don't always reflect the status we have. Why? Because we tend to let culture shape our lives more than Christ. So here's a question. If I could just give you one question to to think through this week, it would be this. Honestly, look at your life and ask yourself, what has the greatest influence on my life? What people say and think or what God says and thinks? What has the greatest influence on your life? I mean, when you look at the way that you spend your money, like what's influencing that more? God's kingdom or culture? When you look at the the people that you position yourself with and your relationships, like the people that you're, you're aiming towards and giving your time to, what has a greater influence on that? The culture we live in or Christ? And just, you could walk down the line for every area of your life because we can apply God's perspective to everything. So at the end of the day, what's having a greater influence on you? There's some really good news in this because if you walk through a list of things and you start to feel like, I'm doing really bad. Like I'm being influenced by more things than I realize. Because if you think about it, you're being preached at constantly. Right, you're being preached at by the music you listen to. You're being preached at by the websites you frequent. You're being preached at by um, the movies you watch. And just, I mean, on down the line, everyone is speaking into your life, all right? And so maybe you're sitting there going, I'm being way more heavily influenced than I even realized. The good news is that the status given to you from God doesn't change. That was secured by Christ. So you're not going to fall out of spirituality. God's going to be like, well, now you're not a spiritual person. Like, no, you're, you're good. Eternally, you are good, right? But we want to display publicly what's true of us internally and eternally. So we need to ask these questions, not to try to get better with God or for God to be more pleased with us, but because we should desire to show the world his, his love and his person, right? So what has the greatest influence on your life? the culture we live in, or Christ. You see, that's what the Corinthians were dealing with. 
They were letting the desire to be accepted, the desire to be respected, the desire to fit into their city. They were allowing that to shape who they were more than Christ. So instead of looking more like Jesus, they began to look more like Corinth. So what are we looking more like? Is your life looking more like Jesus or is it looking more like the country, the state, and the city that we live in? We should be shaped more by God's kingdom than the culture we live. But how do we do that? How do we live in such a way that culture loses its grip on our lives and that God's perspective grabs hold of us and leads us to Christ-likeness? How do we do that? Right? How do we get to a position where we can more publicly display what's true of us internally and eternally because of Christ? How do we display that spirituality? Right? How do we get in a position where, the, where culture loses its grip and God's perspective holds us tight and guides our lives? It happens by looking again and again and again to the cross. This is why Paul in verse two of chapter two says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he's saying that every message that we preach, every message that we look to in scripture has to tie us to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Every day, if, if I ever preach to you a sermon that doesn't end with us looking to Christ on the cross, I have not preached to you a sermon. I may have given you some self-help. I may have given you a good Bible study, but I've not preached a sermon to you, all right? A sermon is always going to connect us to the cross, right? So if we want culture to lose grip on our lives and we want God's kingdom to hold us tightly and to direct us so that we can display publicly what's already true of us eternally and internally, we have to look to Jesus, Because at the cross, we see some amazing and beautiful truths that shape everything about us. You see, at the cross, you see God's holiness and you see his justice. What I mean by that is when we see the cross, it is absolutely clear that God could not just look the other way on our sin. Sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be punished. On the cross, we see ourselves as guilty. We see ourselves as sinful. We see ourselves as those who deserve to be held accountable for our actions. But at the cross, we also see God's love, his grace and his mercy as Jesus stepped into our place to take the punishment we deserve. And when you realize that, it changes who you are and it changes how you live. You see, the more you understand God's grace and it presses into your heart, the more you'll run to God and run after God, not because you have to, but because you get to. The cross is good news for us and the wisdom it gives us shapes every area of our lives. God, I thank you for Paul's words. God, I thank you for being open and honest throughout all of scripture and and showing us that the church was never perfect and, and neatly put together, but it's a group of sinful people wrestling to know you and be more like you.
And God, you meet us in that and you're so patient as you walk next to us in life. God, I ask that you meet us today. For those who need to hear that their spirituality is a status that has been secured, that no matter how they're doing, good or bad, that you look at them and and are pleased, not because of their activity, but because of Jesus's life lived in their place. God, let people who need to hear that hold on to it. God, for those who need to hear and wrestle with the question of what's shaping their life, culture or your kingdom, God, I ask that you would help them to, to be honest. God, that you would let friends speak into blind spots, that you would give them eyes to see the world as you see it. And God, I ask that you would help all of us look to the cross today to see your justice to see your grace, to see who we are, what we deserve, but what we've received. And God, let those beautiful truths lead us to live lives of worship to you. It's your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.